Welcome to Redressing Weddings. I'm Ilya Parkins. Last time we looked at wedding dresses and were really struck by how they bring people together. In this episode, we're building on this by taking a look at wedding clothes and family. Not surprisingly, there's a lot there. Just as weddings have historically been fraught and conflicted events for queer and trans folks and feminists, family has too. In fact, it's surely because the wedding is seen as a family event. You're seen to be making a new family, and your existing family is, as Mila told us, oddly invested in this process. So I'll be getting married in September 2023, which seems very far away. However, um, my family is oddly invested. And in talking to people, we found that an awful lot of this family investment plays out around clothes in all sorts of ways, ranging from joyful to pressured. We talked to Charlotte in the process of planning her wedding. Charlotte's already found her dress with a specific, simple vision of it in mind. So it's like a strapless sweetheart neckline, like fitted, like satin bodice, and then just loads of tulle. So it's like really like tight on the waist and then just puffs out. I've got loads of tattoos, so I didn't want anything with lace or anything with detailing. Just looks too busy on me. It had to be quite simple. Charlotte went shopping with her mother-in-law-to-be, and what stood out was how choosing the dress that fit her style was a joint effort of recognising who Charlotte is and what would suit her for this occasion. I, I, to be honest, I always knew what I wanted. And like I, I did go and try on lots of different things. Like Lynn, my mother-in-law, was like putting me in like the really elegant dresses and like she really liked that sort of thing. But then when I put on the one I bought, she was like, oh no, that's, that's you, that's more you. So this wasn't about Charlotte alone, but it depended on two pairs of eyes. Choosing the dress strengthened the relationship between Charlotte and her mother-in-law-to-be. It sounds like this is because it provided an opening for her mum-in-law to sort of say, I see who you are. And so the bond was deepened. We did bond, definitely. And she told me, like, some stories about the family and, like, when Lowell was growing up, what she was like and stuff, and, like, shared these stories with me that she might not. Yeah, we were just in a really, like, happy, relaxed, chatty mood. Charlotte also described how this dress-buying outing allowed her soon to be mother-in-law to explore a kind of relationship that she hadn't had with her own daughter. Lowell, my partner, is really, like, boyish. She's really tomboyish. She she would never wear a skirt. She's always in, like, jeans or trousers. So Lynn was really excited because she said, oh, I ne- was never going to have this opportunity. Like, I was never going to wear a dress. She said, it's, it was so lovely to be able to do it with you. And, um, yeah, she's... Her parents have really sort of taken me in and I've I've become very close to them, which, and I don't have that. So it was a really special day, actually. We got, like, quite carried away and we were meant to be back by a certain time, but we were too busy chatting and (laughs) we were late. And, yeah, it it, it was really lovely. So here's yet another story about how the wedding clothes, this time buying them, provides an opportunity for something that goes far beyond the wedding. What's poignant about this is the background to Charlotte's decision to go dress shopping with her soon-to-be mother-in-law, and not her mother, as is so typically done. Hell no. <laughs> that sounds so unkind, but um, no. So my mum, my my mum's basically anorexic. She's she's very very thin. She's got an eating disorder, and she um, and I went through that as well. Um, and she's got very strange wrong views about body image and she would she would probably make comments about my size and you know things like oh if you just lost half a stone you'd look so much better in it like do you know like that's she's that kind of um so anything to do with like clothes shopping or trying out trying clothes on and stuff I wouldn't ever do around her because I just know the sort of comments that I would get 
This is hard stuff. It sounds like Charlotte's ties with her mum are so difficult. And yet here was this dress outing, deepening this other set of family ties that sound much less fraught. We also heard from Liz about the loveliness of shopping for a dress with family, in this case her mother. Liz is Australian but lives overseas. Neither of us have our close, close family living here. It wasn't something that was automatic for either of us to say, oh, well, I'll go with my mom or my sisters to go and look at wedding clothes. But I got the opportunity kind of unexpectedly to do that with my mum because I had to go to Hong Kong for work. And I thought, well, since I'm on the right side of the globe, I'll get a flight down to Australia. I suddenly realised after I'd booked my ticket, oh my goodness, I need to look up and see if there's any wedding dress shops that are open on the weekend that have an appointment available that we can go go to and have that experience together. It turned out that I actually could go to a local bridal shop with my mum and try on dresses with her, which again you might think is that kind of default <laughs> you know, a really common experience that I had always assumed that I wouldn't be able to have. And and I was able to end up having it, which was really, really amazing. What's striking here is that Liz had assumed she wouldn't have this sort of rite of passage experience. So the shopping excursion became doubly meaningful. But it wasn't without some anxieties related to the fact that she was marrying a woman, as Liz explained. It was in kind of a suburb in Australia. And Australia is still a little kind of conservative in some ways. And so I was a little bit unsure about, oh, what is this going to be like? Are there going to be assumptions made about who I'm marrying or anything like that? Is it going to be awkward? Is there a tiny bit of worry that it might be like upsetting or distressing but it was none of those things it was one of the most fun afternoons I've ever had (laughs) and it's it's a really nice memory that you know that I guess I really treasure it all worked out and became this really meaningful occasion for Liz and for her mother having been able to to do that with my mum because we had to do everything for our weddings ourselves it was always going to be that we didn't have our parents or our siblings physically going with us anywhere. So I'd really treasure that afternoon that I had with my mum. One of the things I love about this story is that part of what's meaningful about it is that her mother actually dissuaded her from buying an expensive dress. The dress wasn't bought that day, and yet the shopping excursion became such a treasured memory. I found one that I absolutely loved. It would have cost thousands of pounds. (laughs) which was not in the budget (laughs) and I went a bit crazy and I said no it's fine I'll just put it on my credit card it's fine I love it I really want it and my mum was so wonderful she said okay well I'll, I'll bring you back tomorrow your flight's not until the evening I'll bring you back tomorrow and if you still want it you can buy it and put it on your credit card tomorrow And I said, well, we might as well do it now because I'm definitely going to want it. But then, of course, I came to my senses and realised that I didn't want to spend 
90% of our wedding budget just on the dress that I was only going to wear for six hours. And I think it's somehow more special because I didn't get caught up and buy the expensive dress. Because if I had done that, I would still be paying it off my credit card now. And I probably would have regretted part of it. I would have regretted buying that dress. But as it stands, it's just a really nice memory. And I got a veil out of it. My mum actually bought me a veil <laughs> from from that, that shopping trip. So yeah, everything that came out of it was really positive. I think if I had bought the expensive dress, probably that kind of silly, big, expensive purchase probably would have overshadowed the rest of it. It was really nice that it didn't and it ended up being such a positive experience and memory. This says so much about how wedding clothing can be as much about the rituals and experience it provides as it is about the actual garments. In this case, just the possibility of a dress was a kind of thread that knitted together Liz and her mum. Yeah, I think it definitely was a bonding experience. Liz did eventually find her dress. And when her family came from Australia for her wedding, those bonds were deepened further through their hands on that dress. I'm not particularly tall, so it needed hemming. So the person that ended up hemming it was my mum. She got off the plane in London about five or six days before my wedding. And I said, it's so wonderful to see you. I need you to hem my wedding dress. She and one of my sisters ended up doing it on a sort of little, you know, just home sewing machine, nothing fancy, ended up hemming it. And I think it was probably a bit wonky, but that doesn't matter to me. <laughs> you can't tell in any of the photos. And that kind of makes it really special that it ended up, um, you know, being hemmed by my mum as well. What's great about Liz's story is that we can see how the wedding dress facilitates bonds in abstract ways, so through shopping for a dress that didn't materialize, and in really concrete ways, through her mum and sister hemming the dress. Both were just as important in creating the memories surrounding her wedding. While we heard about wedding dress shopping deepening the ties for Charlotte and Liz, we also talked with Mila, who's planning her wedding, about the ways that family is putting pressure on the experience. So I'm the oldest in our family, and... My sister has always made it very clear she wants to elope on an island far away. Uh, so there's not like this big grand ceremony happening then. And my parents just want my brother to graduate at some point. So like they're, that's their idea for him, not marriage down the road. So we haven't had a wedding in the family for a really long time, at least 10 to 15 years. And this is kind of it. So I think there's a lot of like, it's almost kind of seen as like a family reunion in some ways too. So there's a lot of pressure on kind of looking good and almost presenting the family as looking good and being successful. And for Mila, this pressure that family is putting on the wedding includes the question of clothing. Clothes have been a big actually point of conversation. It's I think one of the first things we started talking about, uh, especially after COVID uh, and quarantine, I feel like everyone wants to see each other again. And a wedding is a time to see people you don't normally see. So it's a time you definitely want to look your best. And I feel like a lot of people are really taking that to heart. So they're very invested in what they're going to be wearing. I wouldn't want to, I don't want to say my, like my family's going a little crazy, but they are definitely going a little uh, uh, out of the box with like their reactions to what they're planning on wearing and stuff like that. So it's about what her and her partner's families are going to be wearing. But of course, she's experiencing a ton of this pressure coming down on her specifically. My family's still getting used to 
the idea of me not doing all the traditional elements. Uh, my family had a very traditional wedding where I think they took that classic wedding checklist and did every single thing, like the cake smush, the announcement, the first dance, mother-father dance, all the different combinations of dances. And the fact that I'm not doing that, uh, I think they're still getting used to. So I think I feel almost more pressure when they're questioning kind of like, oh, well, you want this big dress, you want a kind of a bigger ceremony, or uh, why, not ceremony, reception, uh, why is this your issue? I'm also aware of how it might look wearing like this big dress, but not wanting to do any of the traditional elements because I know my friends will understand completely, but my family will probably, like my other family, like extended family will probably be thinking, well, why aren't they doing any of those key at times? Like, what does this say about their relationship as a family? I think when I told them I was planning on doing kind of more of like a small ceremony, they kind of just accepted that I was going to put them through something very non-traditional and they're just going to like be along for the ride. But when I talked about this dress and it was like more extravagant, I think they almost got their hopes up that, you know, this isn't a set in stone. So there's, we can kind of push the boundaries a little bit more. Mila is someone who's hoping to dissent from all sorts of the more ingrained traditions around weddings, but still interested in wearing a fairly traditional gown. So it seems the gown is doing an awful lot of work here, becoming the symbol that her family hangs on to as they think about this wedding. The dress is inadvertently setting the tone for the whole thing and putting Mila in a bit of a conflicted position. And it's not just Mila's family that's bringing a lot to this occasion. On my partner's side, uh, there's just a lot of boys in his family. Uh, and I think his mother just never really thought she'd have a chance to do this kind of like these bridal things, such as going to a bridal fitting or planning some of the more feminine aspects of a wedding. I think she always thought she would have to take like a behind the scenes kind of perspective because that's sometimes what the groom does. But that's not what my partner is going to really be doing. And I know she's like very invested in a lot of those aspects and she really wants to be involved. And it's also not just her dress that's looming large here. Uh, my mom, these dresses she's looking at are so fancy to a point where I have to be increasingly fancy because she can't be outdressing the bride. Um, she was she was looking at getting like a, not a custom dress made, but uh, like a tailor putting one together. And my family's been joking that she's going to spend more on her dress for the wedding than I would on maybe the entire wedding. She's like, I've planned this ever since I gave birth to you. And I was like, I feel like that's very, I was like, I don't think that's a normal thing, mom. Like... It's interesting, isn't it, how dressing for the wedding sometimes becomes important for families' members too. Even though it's the so-called bride who has the most weight on her shoulders in this case, Mila's story reminds us of the ways that other family members see the wedding as a chance to perform the whole family through getting dressed. Dress takes on an outsized role when family views the wedding as about them as much as about the people getting married. And in this case, this puts Mila in a bind as someone with feminist ideals who has a particular vision of the wedding that doesn't line up nicely with her families. This question of family's visions of a wedding and of wedding outfits comes out in Carly's story as well. Carly got married to her now ex-wife over 10 years ago and has since been divorced. My ex-wife and I got married in uh, 2010 in New Jersey. So in 2010 in New Jersey, it was still technically a civil union and not officially a marriage at that point. It was sort of in that gray area where some states had legal marriage, some states didn't, some states had that in between. And, uh, because we're both from New Jersey and our families are in New Jersey, we weren't going to try and mastermind it by like, oh, let's take a road trip to Massachusetts and then come back kind of thing. We were just like, let's just get married where we live. So it was really about, you know, sharing, you know, everything with our family and friends. And so we we pretty much 
had a very traditional wedding in a lot of ways. I mean, we had a big wedding. We invited both halves of our families. You know, we had a rabbi there. Her parents had really clear investments in their daughter's wedding, which is lovely in many ways. You know, my parents were really adamant that it had to be very clear that this was a wedding. They didn't want anybody to treat it as anything less than because there were two women. And that was incredibly important to them. And it was really validating to have you know my parents be that like adamant about it, to feel that it was that important to them as it was to us that this was a wedding. They recognized probably better than we did that there were going to be guests and there were going to be people who were going to look at that and go, you know, but it's two women. It doesn't really, is it really the same thing? They basically wanted to create a situation where anybody who said that or thought that had to really be blunt about it because it had to be clear to everybody this was a wedding, there were two brides, and you had to respect that. And because of the clarity of vision around the wedding being just that, a wedding, Carly's family was really involved in the wedding planning, especially her mom. Right from like the, the jump, like once we got engaged, my, my parents pretty much threw themselves into this idea of this is a wedding and we're throwing a wedding. And all of the things that go along with that. So, you know, florists and, you know, dressing and everything else, it had to be a certain way because my mom was like, I don't care if you're two women, you still have to look the way you should look for a wedding, you know, whatever makes you comfortable. And that was her whole attitude because she really wanted that to be no different than if I was marrying a guy. What's interesting about her story is the way that her mom was involved in assembling Carly's wedding clothes. I haven't worn a dress since I was 18 and I wasn't planning on wearing one for my wedding. That was not happening. And uh, so, you know, my mom and I did do some shopping. We went to, you know, again, this was 2010. We went to the mall, tried to find like white suits, stuff like that. Really was not a lot of options out there. One of her coworkers was, you know, like, oh, I know this uh, tailor, you know, in nearby town who will, you know, custom make clothing. You should go talk to her. And so we ended up having an outfit, sort of like a flowy pants and a vest and a blouse, like custom made. Uh, so that it looked very much like captured the aesthetic of like, this is a wedding and I am the bride kind of thing, but very much in the style that I was more comfortable with at the time. You know, there was absolutely nothing dress-like about it, which was my main concern. At the time, I was pretty happy with it. I think today, I think I would put my foot down a little bit more about making it a little bit more structured and less flowy. But that's also because I think the the opportunity in terms of clothing and things like that has changed. In the last 11 years, I liked it. I, I definitely felt like it was something special and fancy. Uh, it was a little bit of a compromise because, again, it was, you know, my mom was sort of like, well, you have to look a certain way. You have to wear these like nice shoes. Like my friends were like, oh, my God, it'd be so awesome if you wore like sparkly Converse with that. And my mother was like, no, you wear these nice white flats that I picked out. <laughs> I love Carly's sweet description of her mom here. She's so loving, despite this sounding like a bit of a conflict over what she would wear. We really see here how investments in what a bride should wear and look like can clash with queer women's understandings of their own style. The picture of a bride is so persistent that it can be hard for even the most supportive parents to let go of it, even when it doesn't fit their kids. Maybe this is partly connected to what Carly was saying before about her mom wanting to make sure her daughter's lesbian wedding was seen and recognized it was as what it was, as legitimate. The fact that weddings are usually photographed really shaped Carly's experience, too. This was partly about her mom making sure she looked camera ready, but this chafed against Carly's own understanding of herself. She made me wear makeup, uh, and her argument was that it would look better in the pictures. And, uh, you know, it was sort of, I, I understood that intellectually, that of course people have to wear makeup for pictures and things like that, but it was still really weird to get, you know, cornered by my mom and her best friend and like forced to put makeup on. Uh, 
most of the time, especially as I've gotten older, my, my, my style very much leans towards a more like traditionally butch aesthetic. So, you know, for me, like, that would not be a thing that I would be enthusiastically participating in. All in all, what comes out so strongly here is how weddings are meaningful both to the people getting married and often to their family. For queer women and for feminist women, this potentially comes with a unique set of conflicts. What they wear becomes a symbol of much larger issues, and in being seen as symbolic like this, they become not all that different from more conventional brides. It's a tough thing to push against this weight of tradition, and family ties make the push all that much trickier. But what we see from Charlotte and from Liz is how wedding clothes can create openings for different, deeper ties to family, in intimate, private ways that briefly step outside of the symbolism and theatre of the wedding. Speaking of the theatre of the wedding, we hope you'll join us for the next episode, when we get a chance to talk about how getting dressed for the occasion brings up complicated body image issues for some people. Redressing Weddings is produced by Ilya Parkins and Kenya Gutteridge. Editing is by Kenya Gutteridge. The podcast is supported by funding from the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. Our deep thanks go to all participants for sharing their stories.